Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. You may have seen Fathom Events promotions at your local theaters. They produce all manner of events from live fights to special movie screenings to Broadway shows and operas. They present special events almost every week, and I'm hoping to have an interview with somebody from Fathom on a future show. I have a camera operator on rollerblades. And so when it came to thinking of how I wanted Swagger to feel, I wanted everyone to feel not like a spectator, but a part of the action. That was Reggie Rock Bythewood talking about Swagger. Swagger is the TV series based on basketball legend Kevin Durant. The second season recently dropped on Apple TV. Both seasons were shot here in Richmond, and creator-showrunner Reggie Rock Bythewood joins me to talk about the first season and what we can expect in season two. Sifter Review of the Week The Outlaws on Netflix. Adam Devine is one of today's most popular comic actors, and this movie is perfectly suited to his skills. He plays a bank manager who's about to get married. The weekend of their wedding, the bride's parents show up, Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin. Meanwhile, his bank gets robbed, and he's convinced it was them. The premise promises fun interactions, and it delivers. Not only is Divine continuously amusing, but he's surrounded by other enjoyable characters. Brosnan is relishing being a gruff guy. Making it even more enjoyable is the smart script and Tyler Spindle's direction, especially his way with physical bits. There's nothing new about the writing, acting, or direction, but it's still a good old-fashioned comedy that's continually funny. I gave the Outlaws four out of five stars. So, Reggie Rock Bythewood, welcome to Sifter for the Year. Thank you. Congratulations on Swagger. I've enjoyed watching the first season, and I want to talk about the second season. First of all, I noticed, looking at your bio, doing my research, you went to the High School of Performing Arts as a drama major, and you have a yes. BFA in college. So how did you pivot from theater to screen? You know, when I first started acting and was so into theater and particularly studying theater in college, we would do sort of like all the great conventional plays, but I really felt it was such a lack of finding black playwrights have have material to do. Like it it wasn't really. You can only do Lorraine Hansberry so many times. That's what it is, you know? And by the way, Lorraine Hansberry, by the way, is my favorite playwright of all time. Oh, there you go. Okay. Like a lot of the plays that we do felt dated, you know, and so after a certain point, I started writing really just from wanting to see something expressing what I was feeling, what my friends were feeling, what we were growing up with. And that's really how it started. And so all of a sudden I realized like, oh, I'm a writer and started a theater company with some folks. And that's really what set me on that path is just really wanting a voice as opposed to articulating someone else's voice. So let me ask you, so I know that one of your early films, you were in the great John Sayles' Brother from Another Planet. Footnote. The Brother from Another Planet was the breakthrough movie for writer-director John Sayles, and it starred Joe Morton as a black alien. And you said in your bio that inspired you to write and direct. How did he inspire you, or how did that movie inspire you? Well, it was really just like working with John. I wasn't familiar with his work at the time, and gee, I was like, I don't know, I was probably like about 19 years old or something, you know, and I'm working with this guy who starts telling me that what he does is he writes his stuff, he sells it, he raises money, makes a film, takes that money, and makes his next film. And I thought like, wow, that is incredible. 
And so coming off of that, I was really determined to start off in that path. And I raised money and made an independent film. And, you know, my path took a, a different lean because then I started becoming interested in TV as well. But that is the person who really inspired me to just pursue this. What was the inspiration? How did you get started with Swagger? I got a call from a woman named Francie Calfo who worked at Imagine Entertainment. And she relayed this story to me about Brian Grazier, who runs Imagine. And um, and has great hair. Right. And, and, and they met up, you know, KD and, and, and Brian and Rich Kleiman, um, Kevin Durant's business manager. They met and they thought it would be a great idea to do something loosely inspired by KD's youth basketball days. So I get this call and it didn't really... I was like, eh, I don't know. It didn't really interest yeah. me at the time, but but I was like, all right, cool. He was playing at Golden State. Let me fly out there. Let me meet with him. It's not like the worst thing to do is meet with like one of the greatest basketball players <laughs> in this modern era. So I met with him, and then I was just fell in love with the possibilities of doing a story that was about basketball, but was really about growing up. And then I found like an emotional connection with his story to my story. And like, that's the thing, uh -huh. you know? So if it's the fact that I made my own sort of emotional connections and we talked about not doing a period piece, we talked about making contemporary, we talked about using inspiration from KD's life as a launching pad so that I could also say a lot of the things that I wanted to say, because again, Jerry, as, as our conversation started, you know, really it's so much of it is about, you know, my voice and, protecting my voice and, and also just expressing myself. Now, I noticed it's interesting. One of the things I noticed, the very opening scene of the movie, the young man, JC, is actually drawing a maze. And obviously that maze comes back to play several times. But I know you also don't call them episodes or eps. You call them mazes. And I read that even if a writer slips and calls it an episode, he gets fined a dollar. <laughs> so what was your theory behind that? You know, that jar sat in the middle of the table in our writer's room. And, and so by the end of the season, there was there were a few dollars in it. So the <laughs> idea is this, um, you know, the opening image of Swagger is Jace, our, our main character, is drawing, you know, his father draws a hand-drawn maze for him. And maze does become a metaphor for life. Um, and so I always like to say, you know, life is not a straight line. It's twists, turns, obstacles, and opportunities. And that if we really look at swagger, if we can just kind of get beyond saying, oh, we're making an episode of TV, but if we can get to the space where we're saying we're doing something, even if it's contemporary, we're tapping into like a culture in such a deep way that we are as a part of this maze, we are tapping into the civil rights movement, the reconstruction era, we're standing on the shoulders of all those people. It even takes in 2020 and, and all the events that happened there. But by saying maze, it obligates us to look at it outside of just like, hey, we're making TV. It, it obligates us to look at it from a different lens, but also cinematically, it challenged us. If you're doing this a maze, like, well, how do you shoot it that way where it feels like there's twists and turns and and therefore, that's, you know, a, a big part of me coming up with the idea of having a camera operator shoot many of our sequences on rollerblades. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about that. I got a whole bunch of questions about that. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise guest drop in. 
obviously you shot this in Richmond both seasons, and we do have a little drop in. Somebody wanted to drop in and say hello. Hey, Reggie. How you hey, doing, buddy? Footnote. Andy Edmonds is the director of the Virginia Film Office. I don't know how much you guys talked about it before, Jerry, but just an interesting kind of magical spiritual thing that occurred because of Reggie's instinct, really. Our office had teed up a scout. We did a, had an itinerary, and we were eventually going to get to Gilpin Court, this neighborhood where we were proposing to maybe, you know, film some stuff. But we were going past Gilpin was not the first thing on the itinerary. And then Reggie said, turn in there. Let's look at that building. And it was the community center there at uh, Gilpin Court. And he said, can we go look inside there? And we had not teed it up or anything, but, you know, we cold called it, Jerry. We don't take no for an answer at the film office, right? Right. <laughs> so we just went and, and knocked on the door and, and talked to the nice people in there. And, and, and sadly, the pool had been out of commission for years, Jerry. And it was empty and it was kind of sad looking pool. And so then we went upstairs because at a second floor gymnasium and Reggie walks into that gym and I kind of see his reaction. And to me, it just looked like, you know, kind of a odd looking color scheme really for a gym i've never seen anything quite like it is that the one with the red and blue floor yeah and and andy you've you've teed this up good because i should i should like add this element um prior to me seeing the gym i had come across this artist named lisa whittington and lisa whittington has this famous painting of emmett till Footnote. Lisa Whittington is a prominent black artist, and Emmett Till was the black boy who was tortured and lynched in 1955 for supposedly offending a white woman. And I love this painting so much that I was using her painting as the color palette for Swagger. Uh-huh. So I, I came in there knowing that. And in Andy's right, it was instinctual. I don't know what it was, but I was like, hey, wait, when I walked into this gym, I saw the colors from this Emmett Till painting. Wow. And so it was really like God saying, this is it. It's you meant know? to be. Cool. And it was a done deal after that, man. Look, and Reggie's humble too, because not only did, uh, you know, the production help with the community, you know, being Apple provided a lot of really nice laptops to the center there for a lot of the kids. Oh, great. And which was very much welcome. And not the least of which, too, what the show meant for the production community here, Jerry, in terms of employment, expenditures around the community, especially during COVID. You know, the first tourists to really come back into the economy in Virginia, well, I like to call them super tourists, were production people. Right. Production, I knew they would figure out a way to work safely within the COVID requirements. And I remember one stat, Reggie, that Swagger did 20,000 PCR tests and only had, because of the safety measures in place, only had like 18 positive results, of which everyone was fine. They quarantined for a while and came back. I do want to ask you another question, Andy. So obviously majority of it takes place in Maryland. So how did you, other than this pool and this community center, how did you talk Reggie and the gang to come into Virginia to shoot a Maryland show. You know, when we were scouting in Richmond, we've been the first ones at the table, I think, with some decent pictures. So Reggie came to Virginia first. And so as we're scouting and really, you know, we found some cool places and way to really make the show here in Richmond. But Reggie was getting some calls from the studio and they said, have you gone to Maryland yet? Have you gone to Maryland? But I wasn't about to let you, Reggie, uh, hop into the van with my colleague in Maryland. So (laughs) I said, I said, I'm driving you to Maryland, man. And so oh, Reggie wow. and I took off and we went to Maryland, right, Reggie? And we went to uh, Kevin's gym and we went to 
the other locations and the apartment buildings to around Seat Pleasant and, and went to the actual sites. And then we went and had a nice dinner in Alexandria and stayed in the Virginia hotel that night. Right, Reggie. And then, uh, Reggie went on his way back to uh, California, and then uh, the show came together. And I know you're trying to get the focus back on Reggie, but I got one question for you, a little controversy. And, Reggie, this might be an interesting question for you, too. I noticed there's the Virginia, welcome to Virginia's for lovers. That's great. And then their basketball game took place in a gym with a giant Confederate flag. So how did you go? How did you negotiate that? Because obviously you said, here we are in Virginia, and here's the big old redneck Confederate flag up there. And obviously... It has a purpose in the movie, but how did how did you feel comfortable saying, "Okay, here we are in Virginia, where we fly the uh, Confederate flag"? As a, a film commission, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, lean towards the storytellers <laughs> to, to tell their truth. You know, we're here to not judge the content and to tell their truth. And I mean, look, it's a fact. Uh, you know, Virginia uh, has the history that it has, and has some people that are uh, less evolved than others, let's say. So, you know, truth is real, man. And uh, I'm here to support filmmakers telling the story. And look, with all bad things, there are positives on the other side that maybe people learn something from seeing that played out. And maybe it'll change people and create empathy. That's what good storytelling is about anyway. There you go. What was interesting for me about Richmond, you know, I first came there in 2018. We started shooting in 2019. You know, there were a lot of shifts. You know, my first impression of Richmond was this emerging city. And I won't go through, you know, all the, the sort of like various discussions and, and, and incidents that I, that I witnessed. But after, like during 2020, you know, Monument Avenue <laughs> looked significantly different. Oh, yeah. You know, it was really interesting to see history play out in real time you know you know in front of our eyes but we did do a fictional town that was in virginia and it did have a confederate flag and the whole and, and it was a gym a fictional gym that we called soldiers gym and what it does is it allowed an interesting debate and conversation that i felt we don't get to see young people specifically young people of color have right. it was very intelligent and emotional debate that I was very proud of. And not everybody agreed. Not everybody in the team had the same point of view, which I think also is interesting. Um, so I love it. It was one of my favorites that we did in season one. And, you know, definitely recommend people to take a look at it because, you know, ultimately what we really want to do on our show is to entertain. If we can entertain and challenge perspectives, then we're really doing our job. Absolutely. 100%, man. There you go. Thank you again, uh Andy. Absolutely. And thank you, Jerry, for, for your show. And thank you, Reggie, for everything, man. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Andy. Good seeing you, man. So, Reggie, you've been here twice. You've obviously worked here two different years. What do you think about Richmond now? Or do you, what did you dig about it? We've, we've done two different seasons, but, you know, our seasons went beyond two years because sure. of COVID and shutting down. And, you know, we started actually filming in 2019 and then um, finished uh, season two in 2022. Um, I like it for filming purposes because it just offers a lot of possibilities. But I would also say one of the other things that really improved was having a diverse crew. When we talk about diversity, a lot of people think of it as like the sort of politically correct thing. But as a filmmaker, I look at it as like it makes my product better. Right. Absolutely. You know, like the fact that I can have women on my crew and men on my crew and different cultures like that actually reflects what I think the country represents. And I love that it improved. 
and, right. and that if we had more diversity in season two than we did in season one. And I really feel like it does impact the product. We, we mentioned the games and shooting those games and they are, and I have to say, I'm not a sports fan, but obviously I watched this and those basketball scenes are so dynamic and immediate because obviously most of the time the DP's on the floor with them and just going all around and shooting everything. It was amazing. And I read that 1917 inspired you for that. How was that? Footnote. 1917 looked at the First World War through the eyes of soldiers and was filmed as if it were one continuous shot. So what we do with our basketball sequences, some sequences are shot handheld, like camera operator could be on the basketball court or could be in the stands. But our secret sauce is that I have a camera operator on rollerblades. Right, right. And so when it came to thinking of how I wanted Swagger to feel, we talked a little bit about the maze, but the other part of it is, you know, wanted everyone to feel not like a spectator, but a part of the action. I originally shot with a rollerblade camera operator 20 years ago on a movie I did called Biker Boys. Oh, wow. And I've been looking for an opportunity that would feel organic and, and do that again. So that was my real, that was the initial inspiration from shooting that way. Now, uh, our fifth one, fifth hour of the show this season, where I wanted to do a basketball game all in one shot. And I was inspired by the movie 1917. The whole movie looks as if it's all in one shot. Right. And so I wanted to do this basketball game, but instead of making it look like it's in one shot, I was like, let's just do it all in one shot. And it was just a real amazing cinematic feat that, you know, we've never seen anything like that before. And we just were just so excited for the audience to see Swagger season two so that they could um, check that one out. Obviously, I haven't seen that one, but I just have to mention another one. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. The scene near the end of episode, oh, excuse me, let me get my dollar out. <laughs> the scene at the end of season two, maze one, where the coach and JC are, are talking on the court for a long time and they're throwing balls and they hit the basket every single time. How many takes did that take? Yeah. Did you have to keep, did they miss it? Well, you know, the, 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 the goal there was they needed to make 10 free throws while they were staying connected as actors and having this conversation. Right. And it was funny, Jerry, because we did one where it was like, we got to eight. Somebody was like, ah, uh, you know, of course. do it again. <clears throat> so they had this nice connected scene and they made 10 free throws in a row and was so exhilarating. And I don't remember how many takes, but I would say it took maybe about three hours. We actually got another take, but, but I was like, yeah, we got it. But the performances weren't there and we needed both. And that was the hard part. Oh, and yeah. So it took, sure. a, took a few hours and we got it. It was, was, was great. Now, I know you've said it, but you've just never tempted to say, we just missed that one shot. Maybe we could just CGI it in. No, 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 no. <laughs> we, we, it, there's so much integrity with the storytelling and what we want to say with the kids growing up in society, but also like the same level of integrity with the basketball. Like, we're going to get it right. You right. know, Kevin Durant right. is the producer on this, and I promised him we would we would shoot basketball in a way that we've never seen before. Right. Now, speaking of Mr. Durant, I noticed in the opening of season two, Maze One, there's a Mrs. Durant. I'm assuming that's his real mother that got a little cameo. That's his mom. Yeah, uh, yeah his, his, his Very mom cool. had a nice cameo um, and it was really great and um, amazing to you know have her be a part of the process. Kevin, have you ever thrown the idea that maybe he'd show up at some point in a little cameo? Uh, I've actually never, I never even thought about it. And, and I think just probably, I mean, the, the guys 
stays pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then he got his mom in there, and, and that was great for him. He's got his mom in there, and um, you know, who who knows? Maybe in the future. Now, one of the other filmmaking things I noticed you did that was interesting was you had almost always during the games you had tweets on the screen that were just popping up randomly all over the place. Was that your decision? Where did that come from, and why did you decide to do that? Because it's interesting, but it's also a little distracting because you're trying to follow the game, and then oh, somebody did something. But you know, the kids can do that; they can follow three things at once. Yeah, I mean, social media is such a big part of everyone's life. Conventionally, what we're used to when we're seeing a, a, a sports drama is that we're hearing the announcer's voice right. narrating the game or narrating the play or giving some sort of commentary. But and, and that still happens, but we haven't seen like the social media commentating. It just felt authentic and, and cinematic. And so um, social media has become another character in, in the narrative. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know the first season you had some setbacks. I know you had to replace Winston Duke. And then we had all the COVID things happen. But And I noticed for a lot of streaming shows, they generally write and produce and lock the whole show before they even release it. And, you know, a lot of times they do all nine or 10 or eight, whatever it shows at once. It's interesting that your show seemed to have, and maybe I'm just missing the timeline, but you seem to be reacting to things that were happening while they were happening, were you writing as you were shooting or had you wrapped it all and then you just shot it all? Or how were you able to follow the BLM movement and some of those other things that were going on? Obviously, COVID. In season one, there was no plan to deal with COVID initially because COVID hadn't happened. We, right. we, who would have ever thought we'd be in a pandemic, right? So we get shut down and we're figuring out how to come together and figuring out all these protocols and it six mo- took months to get going. But in those months, it was like, wait, this is like an opportunity. Like, how do we not reflect that? So when we came back, we reflected what was happening in real time. And so that's what happened in season one. And part of it was also projecting a little bit about what we assume, you know, how things were going to lay out in the future. But we just switched gears and dealt with it. And and I feel like it elevated the story, the fact that we can actually really deal with all the events in real time in 2020. Yeah, I I think that's fascinating because you don't see a whole lot of shows that are capturing that time capsule. I'm sure we will in the future because it's such a unique period. So how frustrating for you as a director to have to have all that dialogue behind a mask? Yeah, I mean, it was challenging because like none of us do that, right? Right, right, We haven't done that before. But I really just look to surrender to like the reality of the situation for all of us. We all had to learn how to communicate with each other through masks. Sure. And it was yeah. weird. And what did you say? And you know, yeah. so we had to deal with all that. So much of my job is to hold the mirror up to society. And, and so um, I really just leaned into doing it that way. Speaking of that, you said, what did you say? Was most of the mask stuff 80 yard later, or were you using that? Because I know this sounds horrible under a mask. Did you replace it, most of it later? Footnote. ADR stands for Automatic Dialogue Replacement, mostly used when the original sound is not good. It was, it was a challenge because, and if you did ADR, then it sounded too crisp and clear. Ah, uh-huh. You know, so it was, it's always a balance. So we did do some, but a lot of it we use, a lot of it we kept the original sound. Wow. Great. Great. Obviously we've talked about the basketball. There were so many basketball teams and I, did, give me a little insight into the process of when you, I mean, cause you had, obviously you had the main team and then you've got probably what, 10, 15 other teams during the playoffs and everything. That's a lot of kids to get together. And you obviously had to have some real coaches there to, how did that whole process work? It runs like every week. It's, it's like this own little basketball camp. 
my trainers, um, a guy named Reggie Wallace. And then we have a, a, a choreography team called Game Change Films. And they would be on the court and running drills. And then out of that, choreography would develop. And I'd come in and I'd see it. And then we figure out how to shoot it. And then, then we do it again the next week. Let's switch here now to season two a little bit. By the way, they do look older, obviously, which they are. Oh, they're, they're, they're so grown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, obviously it started in season one. You deal with some, you talked about it earlier. It's not just basketball. You've got a physical and sexual abuse. You've got violence that they got away with, we thought. And I, I was going to say, now, Reggie, how can you justify letting these kids get away with something like that? But obviously from watching the trailer season two, that's going to come back. Yeah. Why did you want to get into some of these heavy issues like, you know, abuse? and things as opposed to just saying let's play basketball i guess i, I guess if i did that it would sort of feel like that that, that comment that um years ago the fox reporter made to lebron and kevin durant shut up and dribble you know it's like you oh know, really we have something to say and there are real life issues and really the show is really about growing up in america like that's what the show is so the basketball is there you know i, I said the idea is to get the audience at the edge of their seat and while they're leaning forward hit them with the truth Ah. The idea of the basketball, like it's there, it's great, it's exciting to watch, it's icing on the cake, but the cake are the kids and the things that they're growing up with and the challenges that they're facing. I think the other thing, too, that's just great about the show is that it's a show that people can watch though with their kids. Like it's sure, yeah, it's, it has edge, but I mean, I can't tell you how many families, how many parents have said they watch it with their kids, and not only just me, like they're you know eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds but like they're teenagers and i love that it's a show that you know we look to give a view from every seat in the house parent coach educator player and so i think it really um really becomes important to deal with issues that everyone can just sort of coalesce around right right i'll be interested to see how some of those things develop in season two because that's yeah. some, some juicy stuff what's upcoming next for you i noticed genius mlk is in the uh works potentially my wife and i produce season four of genius and um you know we have other things that we're gonna you know talk about more when the strike is over footnote genius is a series produced by national geographic that's previously covered einstein picasso and aretha franklin that's a fascinating series so i'll look forward to that one and the last question i always ask everybody when you get out of the car and you don't have to work on another project what are you watching my youngest son, he's, he's a baseball player at UCLA. And so um, whenever I get a chance, I'm streaming his games because he's playing out of North Carolina right now. Uh-huh. We're, 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 we're in a writer's strike, and um, I support everything that we are, are fighting for. The most irreplaceable people on my staff are my writers. Absolutely. Um, and I felt that um, I owed it to them, to us, to see this project through and get the word out on that. But I am really reluctant to promote other shows and, and not from a place of feeling competitive with swag or from a place of I'm on strike. And so solidarity I'm limited to this. Yeah, there you go. I understand that. Great, great. Yeah. But is there anything about season two that people should look out for that's going to shift the whole show? Well, I just think what's amazing is, you know, in season one, we have really great performances from very young actors. Yeah. And in season two, they're they're 18 years old and they've not only grown physically, but emotionally and the level of vulnerability that they bring to their performances blew me away. And I think that it'll, yes, it'll have amazing basketball, but I think it's also very moving. Well, I want to thank you so much again, Reggie. This has been fascinating and yeah. I can't wait to, well, I can't even, can I ask you if there's going to be a third season? I don't know.
Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get to yeah. see you back in Richmond again. Thank you so much. All right, Joe. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Take care. That was Reggie Rock Bythewood, creator of the Apple TV series Swagger, which is based on basketball legend Kevin Durant. Both seasons were shot here in Richmond, and the second season recently dropped. I'll have links on the webpage for the show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Tom Cruise is back to save the world once again. They cloned Tyrone. This is a 70s-style Pulp Fiction mystery starring Jamie Foxx, John Boyega, and Kiefer Sutherland. The League, a documentary about the Negro Baseball League. Terrifier, the killer antics of Art the Clown continue in this thriller. Psychopath Providence is a sequel to the animated Psychopath 3. TV and streaming. Justified City Primeval on FX and Hulu. Timothy Oliphant is back in a new case that takes him to Detroit. Bird Box Barcelona on Netflix. Remember the 2018 hit starring Sandra Bullock where they must stay blindfolded? This one takes place simultaneously in Spain. The After Party has a new season of the mystery comedy on Apple. Foundation returns for season two on Apple. What We Do in the Shadows, the delightful dark comedy about vampires in Staten Island returns for season four on FX and Hulu. You can subscribe to this podcast on all the usual platforms, or you can visit tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.